This episode was brought to you by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 137. Hey there, folks. Welcome to another edition of The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamore City story universe. You can find more of my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. This is the show where I share my fiction with you and share the latest news on my writing efforts. So, let's kick things off with this week's story. Today I'm bringing you part five of my Metamore City novella, Whispers in the Wood. If you're new to the show, go back to episode 133 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In last week's episode, Jaina Starson and Abby Preston learned some of the history of the violin called Threnody. According to the Lightbringers research team, the instrument was made in the 16th century by a Pyralian luthier named Emilio Venturi. Venturi is famous for crafting the greatest musical instruments ever made without the use of magic, but he didn't do this alone. The evidence suggests that he had a Leonanshi as a patron. These powerful fairies use their art to enhance the creative endeavors of their mortal partners, but they also feed on their blood and their life force, potentially shortening their lives. It seems likely that the Leonanshi who helped Venturi is the same one who is now working with Isaac Wells, Threnody's current owner. Most disturbing of all, however, are the rumors about why Threnody was created. His wife Rosanna committed suicide, though no one knows why. Grief-stricken, Venturi decided to craft a special violin that would be Rosanna's voice from beyond the grave. It seems that the Leonanshi helped Venturi make this violin, drawing on the mysterious creative force called the Newman in order to do so. When Threnody is played, it sings the pain of lost souls. Souls like Rosanna Venturi, whose spirit has been trapped within the violin for centuries. Over Threnody's long history, the violin has trapped other spirits as well, and these tortured ghosts have been twisted into a dark and nightmarish entity one strong enough and angry enough to kill anyone it sees as a threat. Janus and Abby shared this information with Isaac Wells, and the violinist agreed to help them make contact with Threnody. If Rosanna's spirit can be freed, the violin's hold on the other spirits should be broken as well, and Threnody's destructive power will be ended. With Isaac's help, Abby makes contact with the ghost of Rosanna Venturi. She offers to listen to Rosanna's story, to know her pain, so that hopefully she can help the ghost find a way to move on. Though Rosanna is initially hostile, Abby wins her over with her sincerity, and Rosanna shows her her story. Now, Abby and Isaac must find a way to use this knowledge to put Rosanna's spirit to rest. Whispers in the Wood a Tale of Metamore City Written and read by Chris Lester Part 5 That night, two stools sat side by side under the spotlight on the little stage. 
When the violinist came forth from the shadows, he was not alone. A plain-featured young woman, brown-haired, brown-eyed, and unassuming, sat down beside him, gazing out at the crowd with a pensive expression on her face. Those who had been there before whispered to each other in confusion, wondering what this might mean. The maestro spoke. Good evening. For those of you who have never been here before, welcome. While I realize that it might not look like it, you are about to witness something extraordinary. For those who have heard Threnody before, this will be unlike any other show you have seen. He held the violin aloft, turning this way and that to show her to the crowd. For the last year I have carried this fair lady from one end of the empire to the other. You have heard her sing of grief, of sorrow and loss, and in her songs you have heard the universe singing your own pain back to you. I believed that she was sent to us as proof that some higher force in creation understood our suffering, that, on some level, we were all united in our pain, and that this was proof that we are all brothers and sisters. Many around the audience nodded in agreement. They stopped when the maestro frowned and shook his head. I still believe that our pain can unite us, he said, but I know now that Threnody's song is not the story of all people everywhere. It is the story of one anguished woman whose spirit has been in torment for four hundred and fifty-six years as she gave this instrument its power. He gestured to Abby. With the help of my friend here, she will tell you her story. Her name is Rosanna Venturi, and this is her final performance. Wells lifted the violin to his chin and began to play. As the clear, pure tones of the song filled the recital hall, Abby reached out for Rosanna Venturi, finding her easily among the weaker shades and spirits that the violin had imprisoned. In her mind's eye, she saw the ghost reach out and take her hand. Her memories opened themselves to Abby in a rush, and behind them Abby felt the wild, ancient power of the Leonanshi's art. That power tethered Rosanna to the violin, but it also connected her to all who heard it. Abby used that connection to build a telepathic link to the audience, and before anyone realized what was happening, Rosanna's life passed before their eyes. Abby saw it happen just as everyone else did, a ripple across her vision, as if reality were merely a reflection in a pool, and someone had tossed in a stone. The distortion passed, and Abby saw the image of a much younger Rosanna looking up at her from the polished surface of a violin. Abby blinked, and the reflection blinked with her. She felt the slight weight of the violin in her hands, and cradled it gently against her body. It's beautiful, Emilio, she said, in a voice that was not her own. Rosanna's voice. You're a best work yet, I think. She looked up at her husband. Rosanna's husband, Abby reminded herself, though at the moment the distinction felt unimportant. Emilio's bright, merry eyes twinkled, lighting up his handsome face. Count Vellini thought so as well. His face split into a grin. Rosanna, he gave me the contract for the new opera house. It took a moment for Rosanna to process what Emilio was saying. But that's... 
Twenty-six violins, Emilio said, savoring the words. Ten violas, eight violoncellos. But that will take years. At least five, yes, Emilio said, if I do nothing else and commit all my efforts to the Count's project. He agreed. Rosanna's eyes went wide. You have a patron, she murmured. Emilio took the violin from her hands, then took them in his own. I have a patron, he agreed. Rosanna laughed, a surprised, delighted sound. She threw her arms around her husband's neck and kissed him. He returned the kiss hungrily. When they parted, he was wearing the mischievous smile she loved so much. He looked immensely pleased with himself, and Rosanna could not blame him. So what happens now, my love? she asked. Count Vellini wants me close to him, Emilio said. We will move the workshop to Pyralis City. The men are coming next week to begin taking our things. Rosanna's heart sank a little at that. She looked around at the small but comfortable house they shared, with a meadow out back and the cliffs overlooking the sea. It will be hard to leave this place, she confessed. The city is so crowded. Emilio put a hand on her shoulder. Take heart, my dear. My nephew Afonso is newly married. He and his wife will be our caretakers here. We can come back to rest here whenever my duties permit it. Well, all right. Rosanna smiled again and thought of the benefits of Count Vellini's patronage. It would mean long and difficult work for Emilio, but it would also mean that his genius would at last be recognized by the larger world. Everyone who came to the new opera house would hear the Venturi violins, and word would spread about the beauty and craftsmanship of her husband's instruments. It was his lifelong dream, and it would be childish of her to resent so small a price as a change in scenery. Perhaps she would even come to enjoy the city. Come now, Emilio said. Let us celebrate our good fortune. Rosanna felt her smile turn impish. And how shall we do that, O oh husband mine? Emilio reached behind her and found the laces of her bodice. Oh, I have a few ideas. The vision rippled and changed. Rosanna's reflection appeared before her once more, now wearing the finery of a sixteenth-century lady at the height of fashion. There were new lines on her face, especially around the eyes, but they were mostly disguised by the elaborate makeup she wore to complement her wardrobe. The door to her bedchamber opened, and Emilio walked in. His white lace collar stood in striking contrast to the black velvet doublet and breeches. The black satin cape he wore over it was new, embroidered in gold and trimmed with ermine. Rosanna briefly wondered how much it had cost, then realized that it probably didn't matter. There you are, Emilio said. Rosanna watched in the mirror as her husband came up behind her and slipped his arms around her. Everyone is asking after you. Rosanna smiled, but the expression did not reach her eyes. I find that hard to believe. But it is the truth, Emilio insisted. They say, yes, yes, Venturi, it is very good to see you, but where is your beautiful wife? He gestured at the reflections. And when you compare us side by side, well, I could see their point, no? Rosanna let out a laugh in spite of herself, 
Emilio kissed her cheek. There, you smile and the world is brighter for it. Come join me for the party, won't you? I miss seeing your lovely face beside me. Rosanna half turned and leaned into him, and he wrapped his arms around her in an instinctive embrace. And I miss you, she said softly. All these dinners and balls and performances. When will it end, Emilio? When can I have you for myself again? Emilio reached up to stroke her hair, then stopped when he felt the elaborate hairdo that fashion demanded that she wear for such events. He brushed her cheek with his fingertips instead. Soon, my love, he whispered. My commitment to Count Vellini is nearly completed. When it is done, I shall take my earnings and go with you to our house by the sea. I think a year's rest is a fair reward for all our efforts, is it not? Rosanna closed her eyes and thought of the little house, the wildflowers in the meadow, the sound of the surf crashing below, and her husband holding her close in the quiet hours of the night. That sounds lovely, she said. Patience, then, my love. We must play the nobleman's game only a little longer. They returned downstairs to the guests who had arrived to celebrate the opera's successful opening. Emilio kept Rosanna beside him for a time, deftly fending off the noblewomen who so often treated her as an outsider and a country rube. Within the hour, though, the Count swept Emilio away for a drink and a cigar with his fellow lords, leaving Rosanna alone once more. Emilio gave her an apologetic look as he was ushered off. There goes the last interesting man at this whole affair, someone said behind her. Rosanna turned toward the voice and found a truly striking elf-maid, a tall and exotic beauty, with fair skin, brilliant green eyes, and red hair. She stood half a head taller than Rosanna, and wore a low-cut dress of vivid crimson. Rosanna was astonished that she hadn't noticed the woman before now. I... I'm sorry, Rosanna said. Your husband, the woman said. He has an exceptional talent. Many will give the credit for the night's performance to the musicians, but they are only as good as their instruments. The Count was wise to hire him. Rosanna smiled a little feeling the familiar mixture of pride, love, bitterness, and regret that accompanied most of her thoughts about her husband's work. Yes, Emilio has a rare gift. I am happy that it is finally appreciated. She hesitated. Only. The elf-maid cocked her head, gazing intently at Rosanna. Yes, it has been rather hard for you, hasn't it? Poor dear. She took Rosanna's hand and squeezed it gently, then nodded her head to the side, as if to take in the whole room. This is a den of vipers for those who do not know their ways. I... yes. There was something in the woman's eyes that unsettled Rosanna. She carefully extracted her hand, making a show of fussing with her hairdo. I'm sorry, but I don't believe we've met before. The elf-maid gave her a very broad smile. You may call me Melodia, my dear. Melodia? That doesn't sound elvish. Because it is not, Melodia said. But song and music are my trade, 
and so it suits me. I see. Rosanna gave her a brief, tentative nod. Well, you can call me Rosanna, then. Rosanna. The woman repeated the name, and on her lips it seemed to fill the room with the clear, pure tones of a ringing bell. It sent a shiver down Rosanna's spine to hear it. It is a pleasure to meet you, my dear. I am sure we will become very good friends. A third ripple broke the surface of the vision. Rosanna saw herself reflected once more, now in the face of a coin that glistened mirror-bright in her hand. It shone like silver, but her skin quivered with a feeling of energy, of vitality that was like nothing she had ever experienced. The stranger who had given it to her smiled thinly. His gaze transfixed her, the faded green eyes glittering like a predator's in the glow from the hearth fire behind her. Rosanna handed the coin to Emilio, who took it with almost reverent care. Mithril, he whispered. A coin made of mithril? He looked up at the man, who stood patiently on the doorstep of their little house. Who are you? A collector, the man said. He spoke in an even, resonant voice that made Rosanna grow cold to hear it. One with an interest in your craftsmanship, Emilio Venturi. I came to Pyralis City in search of you, but they told me you had gone. I was disappointed. Emilio swallowed, visibly nervous. Good sir, I am sorry to have inconvenienced you. I am on leave. No longer, said the stranger. I have a contract for you, Maestro Venturi one that will secure your name forever as the unparalleled master of your trade. Her husband grew still at that. He looked thoughtfully down at the coin, then back up at the man. May I come in? the man asked, so that we may discuss this matter further. I, of course, please, Emilio said at last. Have a seat, good sir, and be welcome. The man smiled again that cold serpent smile, and came in out of the night. Rosanna brought the stranger tea, and he presented them with his extraordinary proposal, a matched set of eighteen violins, one for each of the fallen gods and goddesses of the Pantheon. Each would be attuned to the surface and nature of the deity whose name it bore, crafted to sing its praises and echo its ethos down through the generations. For each one Emilio completed, he would receive ten of the mithril coins as payment, equal to a year's salary from any other patron. Rosanna gaped at the offer. That is very generous, sir. It is not, the man said. You will earn this commission, Venturi. The instruments must be flawless. If you must craft and discard a hundred violins before you find the proper design, so be it. If I find them unworthy of the price, there will be consequences. Do you understand me? Emilio's eyes widened. Perfectly, sir, I assure you. I will take the job. Good. The stranger rose to his feet. Use the coin to acquire whatever materials you need. I shall return in two months' time and evaluate your progress.
Do not disappoint me, Venturi. He went to the door and opened it. Sir, wait, Emilio said. The man looked back over his shoulder, waiting. If I may, sir, I would know the name of the man I work for. The man turned back to the door. Malcolm, he said. Good night, Venturi. The door shut behind him as he left. Rosanna did not see him grasp the handle. The crash in her husband's workshop sent Rosanna running. She found Emilio on his knees, the broken neck of an unpainted violin in his hand. The rest of it sat forlorn, several feet away. Garbage! he spat, halfway between sobs and rage. It's garbage! God's blood, what is wrong with me? Oh, Emilio. Rosanna knelt at his side, embracing him. He turned and buried his head in her chest, his whole body shaking. Rosanna cast her eyes to the pile of ruined violins in the corner of the workshop. Malcolm had been profoundly displeased with Emilio's first two attempts, and his rebuke had broken her husband's confidence. Another month had passed since the patron's last visit, and Emilio had yet to complete a single instrument. I cannot do it, Rosanna, he whispered. My muse has left me. I am ruined. Have I come at an ill time? Rosanna looked up, then blinked and looked again. There in the workshop door stood Melodia, her red hair glowing in the afternoon sunlight. She wore a dark gray traveling cloak and riding boots, and carried a large bag over one shoulder, none of which detracted from her beauty in the least. I heard of your commission, she said, as she entered the shop and set her bag on a workbench. You have taken a dangerous patron, maestro. He does not take kindly to those who fail him. I know, Amelia whispered, sounding lost. But what can I do? The elf woman smiled. I can help you, maestro. As I told your wife when last we met, music is my trade. There are secrets I can teach you, secrets that will bring forth the songs of the divine that you have struggled to give voice. Rosanna felt a twinge of suspicion. If that is so, then why have you not sought Malcolm's commission for yourself? Melodia turned her eyes on Rosanna. My dear Rosanna, she said. Almost immediately, Rosanna felt herself grow calmer, though she could not have said why. I never work alone. I teach others and help them to reach their greatest potential. It is my life's work. She turned back to Emilio. What say you, maestro? Will you apprentice yourself to me? Do so, and I will make your name great. Emilio looked at her a long moment, then rose to his feet. My lady, I am at my wit's end, he said gravely. If there is anything you can teach me, then I will make myself a student again and learn all I can. Melodia smiled warmly. Very well, maestro. I shall teach you. Please, Emilio said. Call me Emilio. The elf woman's smile broadened. Oh, she said, I shall, my dear Emilio. 
indeed I shall. And that's the end of part five. Come back next week for the conclusion, when we hear the rest of Rosanna's story, and see how Abby and Janus plan to free her. Ernest Hemingway said, For a long time now I have tried simply to write the best I can. Sometimes I have good luck, and write better than I can. So, let's see how my luck has been holding out this week. Here's your weekly writing report. I wrote 2,709 words this week, over the course of 3.5 hours, for an average writing speed of 774 words per hour. I wrote on four out of seven days this week. Last week I mentioned that I was having a hard time getting anything written, and that I needed to change up my routine. This week, I did just that. Dave Robison has a group over on Facebook called Flash Prompt, and every day he posts a picture and challenges people to write something about it. This week, I took three of those pictures and used them to create three different flash fiction pieces. Writing short has always been a problem for me. My short stories have a bad habit of turning into novellas, my novellas turn into novels, and my last novel turned into a 770-page doorstop. So for these writing prompts, I'm trying to keep the stories under a thousand words. I don't know how long I'll keep doing this, but for right now, I'm having a lot of fun writing something completely different every other day or so. It was a big week over on the Patreon feed, because we just got four new patrons. Please welcome Jason, Kurt, Will, and Eric. I've also put up three new episodes on the Patreon podcast, with author commentaries on episodes 131, 132, and 133. I have three more commentary episodes already recorded, so I'll work on getting those edited for release this coming week. Remember, these author commentaries are exclusive to my Patreon feed. You can't get them anywhere else. And if you donate at least $3 a month, you can get other cool stuff too, like art previews, bonus stories, and cover reveals. Head on over to patreon.com slash author Chris Lester, take a look at the reward tiers, and choose a monthly pledge that works for you. It's the very best way to support this show and help me keep making it. And if you're already one of the 113 awesome people contributing to my campaign, thank you so much. And now, the feedback. Hey there, Chris. This is Oz Govnor coming at y'all from Niceville in Florida. <laughs> G'day, mate. Uh, yes, it is actually me, Oz Governor. And yes, I am now living here in Florida in the US of A. Um, how's my accent coming along? Uh, I arrived last November from Australia, which was shortly after when I resumed listening to podcasts after having taken a break for quite a while for having been just too busy. Um, I loved your new version of Welcome to the City and... It's ironic because I was reading at a time when I'm kind of going through uh, what Michael went through, except sort of in reverse. I've moved from a very busy IT career management role in my home city of Melbourne, which for those of you who don't know is a very big city in Australia with lots of high-rise living, a rich and diverse multicultural makeup, a real energy and vibe. And I've moved into a small town in regional Florida and it's a little bit of a culture shock. Um, I'm now a stay-at-home dad with three kids, supporting my wife's career move. And despite 
not having a job at the moment. Uh, what you said uh, in your latest feedback about uh, just not having enough time to complete all the little things just rings so true for us too. Um, and I don't understand why. I'm not working and yet I don't think I've ever been busier. Um, I'm afraid I don't have any magic answers for you except to say that uh, when you find you've trimmed every inefficiency out of your life and your routine and you still don't have time, what parenthood taught me is that something in its entirety has to go to make space. Um, and uh, often you find yourself shedding things that you would rather keep. Um, that was definitely what happened for me as a parent and you might find yourself in the same space. Anyway, I've just bought the Kindle version of The Lost and the Least. I look forward to reading that. And I will, of course, be leaving you a review. Um, all the best, mate. Uh, keep it up. Cheers. Hi, Governor. Wow, Nashville, Florida, huh? That's a big change from Melbourne. Your point about giving things up is well taken. Being a writer means taking time to write, and I'm going to have to take another hard look at the things that take time away from that, such as Facebook, reading the news, and watching television. Fortunately, I know I can do this, because I've done it before. The time is there, if I'm serious about finding it. Thanks for the call, and good luck in your new home. Eric of Georgia wrote in to say this, I discovered Metamore City by a rather circuitous route. I'm a latecomer to podcasts, because for some reason touchscreens never played nice with my fingers, and it took me an eternity to get a smartphone. Once I started on podcasts, I found the Babylon podcast, which led me to Three-Edged Sword, where I heard a promo that just blew me away for Metamore City. So I proceeded to devour the Metamore City stories, and have reached the point where I'm caught up and waiting for the next upload. I can't say enough good things about the world you have created with Metamore City. The urban fantasy setting is amazing, but your characters are spectacular. Your characters feel real, and I find myself genuinely invested in them. I think of making the cut and how we know exactly what is going to happen to Abby and her baby, and it still shocks and you feel the loss. I think I had a very quiet day at work after finishing that episode. Then there are the characters that I just have to smile every time they show up, like Callie. Even when things are super serious, she just makes things amusing. Artax? Come on, I think everyone loves Artax. I have to admit, I'm hoping Rafa Kaliri shows up again. I love those Balticon live shows, and I just love the character, and any scene with Betty is a gem. I know in your last episode you said you've been slowing down at everything and can't figure out how to shake it. Have you been on vacation lately? I know that is something I'm horribly guilty of. I tend not to use my vacation time and constantly get burned out. Some time off to do something else, be it go somewhere or just stay around the house and fix things, build things, etc., usually helps. That's a really good point, Eric. I did take a short trip back to Michigan in the beginning of November, but it's been a while since I've had a real vacation. I'm getting married on April 28th, and my partner Melanie and I are planning to take our honeymoon up in Voyagers National Park. Hopefully that'll give us some time to really recharge and refresh ourselves. Eric concludes by saying, Okay, I need to wrap this up, so before I go join your Patreon, I have one last question. You mentioned you were a fan of Babylon 5, and even borrowed ideas from Minbari culture for use in Metamore City. Green or purple? Eric, I must answer with the fabled words of Londo Malari. In purple, I am stunning! 
Thanks for writing in. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook. And my Mastodon handle is at author Chris Lester at wandering.shop. If you like this show, take a minute and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a big difference in helping people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2009 and 2018 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.